Doing very well, very well. You know, on lockdown and, and can't leave anywhere, but other than that, good. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. You have yourself framed beautifully there with the weights in the background. Really cool. <laughs> Excellent job. Very Thank good. you. Well, I have to be at the dojo because it has the best um, the best Wi-Fi connection. So I figured this was a nice little spot to show off my stuff. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> we have to turn okay. the dehumidifier off. Otherwise, there's noise. Plus, <laughs> it's the noise. <laughs> I, th- I don't know. I'll we'll turn that <laughs> off and also turn that off. Right. Technical so, difficulties. We're good. We're good. Oh, so how that how's things been going? Um, pretty good for us. It's um obviously different all over the world. Florida is definitely taking a different approach to things. So for the most part, we've been all right. Um, so yeah, as far as that goes, pretty good. As far as COVID goes, pretty good. Excellent. Are you still able to run classes and stuff like that, or are you? On Zoom, yeah, or? so um, so Florida actually shut down from the beginning of March until the beginning of May of last year, and then we opened back up in phases, and um, we don't really have any restrictions, so we're still able to run classes and all that stuff. We still live stream um, for people who are either out of country or um, just out of the area or who get sick, but outside of that, everything's pretty much been normal. Sounds amazing. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so for, for people listening, uh, we've got Lauren Hart with us as a special guest today, uh, all the way from Florida. Um, she has her own podcast with her husband, Jeremiah, called Beyond the Dojo. Fantastic. Go and give that a listen, first of all. Um, and teaches, uh, and you, you guys have your own uh, full-time dojo in Florida, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we have our own club. Um, we actually, I kind of inherited a club from my uh, head sensei. He had a club going in this area for like 30 years. And when he went to retire, I was the most senior rank. So we opened up um, under a different name, but we opened up in uh, 2017. So we've been open almost exactly four years. Fantastic. Nice. Excellent. Very good. So we briefly met Right about this time last year, actually, at the winter Keiko. Not me. You weren't there? No? (laughs) Not really. You didn't get to go to Sarasota? (laughs) Oh. Rue doesn't get out much, you know? I've never (laughs) been to America. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You're welcome anytime. We're we're learning stuff. um, uh, Did you you get anywhere else last year, or was everything put on hold? Have you got any plans to go anywhere this year? (laughs) Um, so actually it's funny because we didn't attend all of Florida winter Keiko because we were supposed to travel a lot last year. We were supposed to take a big trip in the summer, um, going to Minneapolis and then to San Diego. And obviously that got completely canceled. So, um, no, we didn't travel at all. That the last time we traveled was literally Florida winter Keiko. And then since then, the only time we've trained outside of our own dojo was we went to see Rick Houghton's club, um, two days before Christmas. And outside of that, that has basically been it. So. No. Oh yeah, and this year, <laughs> um, this year we're—I <laughs> don't know. Um, I don't I can't. I can't think that far ahead. Um, I guess we want to try to travel in the summer if we can. Uh, we want to try to go out to San Diego. We try to do that once a year, but 
Um, I don't know. It kind of depends. Like California has very strict lockdown rules. So I don't even know if they're going to be open at that point. Um, and I guess if anybody else is brave enough to maybe hold a in-person seminar, we'll, we'll try some of that. But um, outside of that, we don't really know. Kind of playing it by ear. San Diego to visit the big man. Yeah. The man himself. Uber. The man himself, yeah. El, El Honche. Wait, what's the word? That's not the word. El Jefe. El Jefe. Sorry, El Jefe. Jefe. I don't speak Spanish. I just spat everywhere. Well, hopefully you do get a, they get across. Um, but just for the people who, who maybe are, aren't um, familiar with you, can you give us just a very quick, brief history of why you started karate, what got you into it, and, and why you still do it to this day? Sure. Um, so I <clears throat> I was actually a dancer when I was really young, and I like I love dance and music and all that stuff, but my dance teacher moved away. We live in a small town, and there's not a ton of opportunities for athletics. You have a couple of basic things you can do. So guys play baseball and do Pop Warner football, and girls do nothing basically I don't know so we did dance and um, once my teacher moved away um, I had the opportunity to do karate and I loved Dragon Ball Z so obviously I had to do karate yeah so yes and maybe that's why I stayed all these years I don't know I just maybe one of these days I will turn into a super saiyan um, but I uh, I just <laughs> there you go see we're, you're you and I man we're close. last month it's good <laughs> here um, I stayed um, I don't know there's there's such an appeal. Like I love human movement. The older I've gotten, the more I love it. And um, like I'm an aggressive person. So that obviously helps when I was younger. Like I actually had something to back up all my threats, telling people I was going to beat them up. I'm like, now I know karate. Now I can beat you up. But as I got older, um, I, I love the physicality of it. I love the movement. I love uh, breaking techniques down, making them better, changing things. Um, I love the idea that you're never really perfect. So you're all, you, there's always room for improvement. Um, I know some people, I think, I think some people is in their personality to get to the point where they feel like they've arrived. Um, and I can, I can understand, you know, that's, that's good for them. For me, I like the idea of always being able to move forward, um, and always being able to, um, not take myself so seriously that I, uh, I think that there's no room for improvement. So um, that's one of the biggest appeals over the years, like being able to experience that and also share that because there's a huge humility that um, comes with that process. And then it helps in other areas of life as well. So, yeah. Every second syllable you just uttered is like the basis for a whole podcast episode. So I I can tell this is going to be really, really good. You know, movement, breaking down tech, like there's so much good stuff there. But first of all, who's your favorite Dragon Ball Z character? Oh, um, dude, I, for a long time, it was always Gohan and I haven't watched it in a while. So I don't know. See, I like, I like the cell saga because I love him as a teenager and he just turns into a total badass, like right at the end. And I'm just like, what the like, it was just the best thing ever. So I think uh, probably Gohan. Excellent. Nice. Yeah. Good. Who's yours? Uh, Goku. Goku. Yeah. yeah Goku. Yeah. yeah. See, I love Vegeta. I know you do. I'm a Vegeta guy. <laughs> Love Vegeta. But I think I'm much more like Goku, though. I'm much more silly. Oh, yeah. I'm not, very, I'm not serious yeah. at all. I think in real life... I think Vegeta's the how Goku. serious I want to be. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Scott's the Vegeta. <laughs> and I'm the Krillin. I can do that. <laughs> you've taught, you've, you, you mentioned uh, going out to see Steve... Uh, once a year how how do you get to train with steve a lot and how much of an influence is he in your karate is he like the the main influence that you've got 
Yeah. So um, I actually met Steve when I was 17. It was at a um, at a seminar. And every year we had the opportunity because he was on the seminar circuit. We had the opportunity to train with him a lot. Um, and uh, starting about five years ago, um, Jeremiah and I had the opportunity to start communicating with him more regularly. So we actually communicate with him weekly um, and get feedback from him as, as well. And then, um, we, the first time we actually traveled out to train with him was <laughs> on our honeymoon. So we literally spent our honeymoon going to San Diego and training with Steve. <laughs> and what then, um, so we did it. We, we went out again in 2019 and then we were supposed to do it again last year. Um, but obviously that fell through. So um, in person, obviously not as often because we're literally on opposite sides of the country, uh, but we do communicate with him pretty regularly. And yes, he would definitely be the, the heaviest influence on, um, on mine and Jeremiah's karate, I think. Excellent. And if you could describe, like talking about his movement, like if you were to try and de to describe Steve's movement, because we talk about, like I've had the opportunity to train with Steve quite a few times now. And yeah, I agree with you completely, like total inspiration. And what he does but it's very difficult to describe to people who haven't trained with him or seen him so if you you could try and like describe what what he does for you could you <laughs> yeah um i think for me the reason i am attracted to his style of karate is just because to me he's probably the most well-rounded and well-balanced karateka um he has absolutely pristine technique so when you look at him doing a specific movement like you know what it is he's not fumbling all over himself like sometimes will happen when someone's trying to demonstrate like an application or whatever um but then he can take that technique he can apply it he can show how it would work in real life situations um and it's in ways that you don't expect so i remember the very first seminar with him i was just like how can a punch be anything other than a punch? How can a hikite be anything other than just drawing your hand back to your side? And that's just the beginning, but being able to see how he takes like the beginning of a movement, the end of the movement and all of the points in between. And he's able to not only perform it properly, use it and use it effectively and also generate power. I mean, it's just, to me, it's unmatched. Um, so that's to me why, why he is, um, the the grand master that he is um so like for me where where i am right now is i'm honestly still working on fundamentals like i have i can admit that i have a lot of fundamental errors that are just from you know years of training incorrectly or not really understanding maybe how to do a specific movement correctly but then also he is he is kind enough to be gentle in the way that he he explains how to do things in a more optimal way without, I guess, being, um, condescending, which is nice. Um, because I think a lot of us come up in dojos where we train a specific way for so long because our instructor trained a specific way for so long, or sometimes that instructor is trying to, to pull together influences from outside sources. And then they're trying to package that together as best they can and pass it along to their students. And to me, that's admirable that an instructor tries to do that. Um, but sometimes it's hard to make all of those ideas match. And because Steve has had influence from other people, but because he's put so much time into researching what he's doing, like he had just has hordes of research that he's read and, and stuff that he's dove into. I mean, he's got enough research for probably six or seven PhDs. I mean, the guy is a, is a genius as far as on paper. 
but then the way that he's actually physically able to um, demonstrate, uh, just, just an example of the demonstration. The other day, I found a video on Facebook of him demonstrating, um, it was a section in Chinte. It's the part where you come up onto one leg and you've got the nakadaga on both sides and you come down and do the two overhand things with your arms. Anyhow, he showed it on another person and there was no mistaking what move it was, but he did it flawlessly to the point that the other person actually couldn't counterattack. So being able to being able to balance all those facets, being able to physically perform it in a way that's technically sound, but then being able to show it in a way that actually debilitates another person and keep yourself out of risk of being counterattacked. To me, that's kind of that's what he embodies. Can you send us on that video? <laughs> yeah, you can look it up too. I literally I went through Facebook and found as many um, Steve videos, and I downloaded them all to my computer. So <laughs> that one is on archive. Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, he was at the, an ESKA seminar, I think. Nice, me check that out. Yeah. I mean, for me, like um, when I was training with him in in California, um, mm -hmm. like there's so many like amazing moments um, over like a, a th three day seminar that we did with him. Um, but at one point he was doing Teki Shodan and he was doing this sort of tattoo racking bit and he says to the class um, and he's using Miyazuki and he says you, sh you should be able to hit the person you know at least seven times and he and he <laughs> and he does this technique and he must have hit me about 12 times and I was like yeah. and I couldn't see what he was doing because my head was flying about all over the place but yeah. I remember turning to Scott and his reaction being like Oh, said, said, said he took his phone out. Can you do that again? And he was like, no, and walked away. <laughs> and Scott was like, what? And it was like, yeah. he literally, like, in the space of, you know, this hit yeah. me about 12 times. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, we, just, we've, it, actually, we've actually taken that and turned it into a game with some of our students where we'll do that section in Techie and we'll say, okay, how many times can you get in a block in this section if you had to apply it? And how many times can you get in a strike in that section? And whoever gets the most wins. So <laughs> that's inspired by him. <laughs> And and that's the bit that impresses me is is that like the spaces in between, yeah. and how he can break even the 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 sort of seamless parts into something like exquisite. Uh, to me, it's uh, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, but apart from Steve, who else uh, inspires you? Like obviously, you you travel and train at you were training at the Winter Keiko, so you've obviously trained with uh, Rick Sensei um, quite a bit as well. Yeah, is there anyone else um, that you would put on the list? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can appreciate even even with differences of technique, I can appreciate the way that some people will um, teach or try to convey ideas. So Rick Sensei is one of those. Uh, Scott is also one of those and also Richard Amos Sensei. Um, and um, let's see, I'm trying to think of some others. I didn't get the opportunity to, to I haven't gotten the opportunity to really train with a, a huge plethora of different types of instructors because we didn't travel a ton when I was younger and it's pretty much been no seminars the past few years. So um, those are some that I, I really like their teaching styles. They're all very different, um, but they have a different type of energy. And sometimes it's funny to me, an instructor will give a correction that maybe, maybe I don't think about it the way that they're trying to explain it, but something about the way that they say it and maybe something I'm working on, it kind of connects. It just, it, it gives me a deeper, um, uh, it gives me a chance to think more deeply about what it is I'm working on. So I can appreciate that from other instructors. And those are three of the ones that really um, invoke a lot of thought in me. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And out of all of them, who do you think would win in a fight? Out of 
out of uh out of, Rick, out of those Scott, things and, you just mentioned including steve and richard i'm sorry <laughs> and steve including steve yeah who do you think <laughs> okay <laughs> it's whoever doesn't get hit dude <laughs> yeah I mean, whoever I, doesn't show up to the fight wins I mean, I think that's one of the one of the cool things about working for Scott is we get access to a ridiculous amount of instructors. Right. Um, some amazing, like like obviously um, training with Steve Sensi, um, Rick Houghton, Richard Amos, and stuff. Um, we talk about Paolo Balafio from Italy quite a lot. Uh, another fantastic instructor. But like over the years uh, of my youth, I've had access to some like all the all the JKS instructors as well like spoiled and I think we get spoiled a little bit we don't realize how lucky we are sometimes you know with just even the good even the bad ones you know like the, the ones that maybe we go yeah that wasn't you know as good as some of the other instructors we've got we still get access to so many people and ideas and stuff you know and it really it, it, like you say it adds a, a certain depth to your karate I think having that sort of exposure so yeah I think we're a little bit spoiled you know we're absolutely spoiled mm. I, uh, I've done a fair bit of traveling in my time um, not as far afield as you've gone, but um, mm. spent a lot of time in, in other places. And uh, when I try to visit dojos here and there when I'm away and about, and it's always a bit shite. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> terrible. <laughs> <It's true. It's laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, just like you're, you know, no, sh- shite is obviously. Well, that's an accurate word. There is some shite out there. <laughs> but, but, it's all, but, but sh- shite is a judgment. Mm. right and i i that's that's something that i could unfairly say if i'm to compare their teaching with scott but scott has had his own special opportunities trained in japan for so long he's also very gifted athletically and he's a little bit of a genius when it comes to instruction and teaching Mm. so you're not going to get that everywhere you go and uh, so rather than making that judgment what i do is remind myself of how lucky i am yeah I mean, I, th- I think I'll always remember it because I, I remember coming up, my original instructor, mm-hmm. for example, when he ever done an application, Gidam Rai was blocking the Mayagari there and elbowing someone behind you there, which is cool. like, that he could taste <laughs> an elbow to someone behind you. So that was like special. So growing up with that, as soon as I see someone who... you in the head, somebody tries to kick you at the same time. That's, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. That's it, yeah. <laughs> Mind no. you again. Yeah, so that's the kind of stuff I started Street with. Street fights, so. right. <laughs> Yeah, appreciate Folks, it more. This is uh, this is by the way going to be our first um, film filmed, our first uh, podcast with footage to go along with it. Visual. So, oh, good! I'm glad I haven't picked my nose so, or anything. So people are people are are, are going to be able to see that when we're when we're messing around to doing stuff like oh, this. Oh, okay. If if you're listening right now, folks, you don't. It was Manjigma. <laughs> we literally trained that this week in the dojo, so I'm kind of laughing at you. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, um, like, it's, I'll always like think about when I go and train other places, like trying to see what people emphasize in their own teaching. Uh, right. So, it sounds like you, you guys are quite application, like heavily application based, yeah. Um, and obviously that comes from Steve, like inspiration from Steve Sensi, sort of. But do you think that uh, application is is integral to karate practice? Do you think it's super important? I think it is if you are like the type of person that needs to know why you're doing something. And a lot of times, even with a lot of our lower rank students or even the children that we train, we will we will give them bits and pieces of application because it it helps us to explain technique better. So if we have a specific reason why we're overemphasizing a certain point, um, then we will explain 
how that technique is applied. Um, that way they're able to be like, okay, well, I'm not just wasting my time working on like getting my toes up in a front kick or lifting my knee up earlier in the technique. Like sometimes students need that. Why? And I know that I'm like that. So, um, that that's definitely part of it. Um, and then I think too, it's like, I, I can appreciate that people train for um, lots of different reasons. And Jeremiah and I've talked about this extensively on our podcast that everyone has a different reason why they're training. And that's totally amazing. And that's the beauty of martial arts is there's lots of different purposes behind it. Um, what we try to do is we give our students the opportunity to have all of those different reasons, but we also pre- want to present them opportunity that maybe we didn't have because we didn't get the chance to really know what we were doing when we were coming up. You just did basic keyhole and that was it. You didn't know really how to apply it. So, you know, when you are a shodan or a nidan and you can't like defend yourself in any capacity because you've never applied what you've learned. Um, I think that is a problem. So I do think it's an integral, but it just, how much you use it is probably going to depend on the student base that you're working with, or maybe what you're emphasizing as a dojo. Yeah, that's it. Like, if, and, and if that's the, the motivation behind it, yeah, I completely agree. Like that right. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What do you think? About applications? Well, actually you just made me think that even even say if you're, te- you just mentioned pulling the toes back from my Gary. And so mm-hmm. I, if I teach applications, I, I teach something very, very basic. And, and we in this dojo focus very little on kata application. So, um, but um, I very often will, you know, see everybody kicking with a loose and floppy foot. And so back in the days when you're allowed to touch one another, I'll pull a kid out and like kick them in the chest a few times, nice and light. And see, and you yeah. know, see, this is how you do it. You pull the toes back, but that's application. Mm. Right. I'm just, I'm just kicking someone. But even that, it doesn't have to be. And then twist their arm back here and break that and grab them here and manipulate there. Yeah. Very simple. I wouldn't trust it, any of the kids with any of that. Oh no, I, no, I, <laughs> yeah. I literally mean like, like tap, tap. Yeah. oh, you mean this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Any of that? Because none of none of our kids know me. Yeah, <laughs> we've had some bad experiences where kids have thrown each other on the ground working on application stuff. I'm like, oh shit, sorry. So, yeah, sometimes it's not good. <laughs> Actually, now that I think of it, I have d- I have done a little bit of grappling as well, but uh, just basically, so, yeah. we we arm bar here or or like the thing where you get the arm and you push the face that way. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we don't, we don't focus on it, but definitely it's, it's useful for teaching. Like you said, there's the, you know, otherwise you're just dancing around in silly white pajamas. If there's no martial aspect to what you're doing. Right. And I think the other aspect is to like, I don't, in, in America it might be different than it is everywhere else, but you know, we are basically in the MMA culture. So a lot of people want to be actively doing something. They want to know that they're doing something and karate spends so much time focusing on technique that especially when you get old in, in older individuals that you're working with or, you know, higher ranks, um, they don't want to just hit the air unless they have a specific reason why they're doing that. And then you also have to give them the chance to have their hands on each other because, um, not to turn this into a business thing, but if we lose all of our students to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA, then what what good is it, you know, running a dojo? And I'm not saying that like to water down karate at all. I think in in, in most ways it enhances it, but um, you know that there's that aspect to consider as well is that we're working with a different culture. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, this place, the the Conor McGregor land over here, you know, like it's it's very big and popular over here. But I mean, I I found that because I cross trained when I was um, a teenager in Thai boxing and MMA and and Jiu Jitsu and all these things, and I found a uh, I found straight away the the kind of sparring that the competition style sparring that we were doing in karate, even though it had some advantages, wasn't pressure testing you properly. You know, with with someone who's just constantly in your face and not trying to score points, but actually trying to beat you down or grab a hold of you and choke you and all this sort of stuff that you—it's a bit more realistic, right? And and just constantly hitting stuff all the time, hitting pads, hitting bags, and stuff like that. And I think that incorporating that rate that regularly into your training, rather and maybe to, like taking a step back from the keyhorn and cat aspects, the punch in the air stuff, it enhances your your karate much more. I think it just adds more to it. Um, not that you should, you know, abandon one practice or the other, but definitely incorporate it into it for sure. Right. And I think that's the hard thing is, is being able to balance the two, because I mean, a lot of the work that a lot of the training I've been doing over the past five years, and then some has been, it's been air training, but cause I'm working on technical aspects of my, my karate. So it's not to say that the air training is a bad thing, but you also, like you said, you have to pressure test it to make sure that is the air training actually paying off. Can you still use it whenever you're hitting something or when you're an against an opponent, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't, I don't want to be, um, I, don't, I know that there are dojos that they completely focus on application and that's not how we are at all. Um, there's, there's a place for both, but it's being able to find that nice balance is what we're kind of striving for. And in your your training, you're also a strength and conditioning coach as well. Uh, and what what I found interesting for for when I was growing up with karate at a young age, my sensei was saying, "Don't do weights; it just makes you slow, right? Makes you slow. Complete, obviously, <laughs> lie." Um, but how have you found that that we're doing in strength and conditioning training? How has that enhanced your karate? And if you were to advise you know, people starting out in karate or even people who have been at karate a while who want to increase their physical attributes, what what would you say are the best the best ways to go about that? Okay, so I could turn this into an, an entire lecture. So if at some point I start talking too much, you're gonna have to cut me off and I won't be offended. <laughs> so first of all, when people <laughs> when when instructors tell that to students, I die a little inside <laughs> because <laughs> totally not true um whenever the, the idea of like getting too bulky or your your strength training slowing you down um that's very specific it depends on how you're training and most people do not have the genetics or hormone profile or the training schedule recovery or even nutrition to have that happen um i think if people understood the, the science behind muscle gain they would realize actually whenever people say like i don't want to get bulky or i don't want to get slow because i'm going to get too muscly Cause I hear that all the time as a personal trainer, if they realized how arrogant of a, of a statement that is, it's like, that's like saying, Oh, I don't want to get behind the wheel of my car and drive because I'm afraid I'm going to turn into a NASCAR driver. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's literally what it is because there's so much behind it. So I like, I have to spend extensive time explaining to the women that I work with in person. And then a lot of the athletes I work with online, like, don't worry about it. It's okay to lift weights and it's okay to lift heavy. You can lift more than a 10 pound dumbbell and you will not, you'll probably won't have a lot of strength gains. I mean, you won't probably won't have a lot of muscle gains. Um, you know, I've been lifting consistently since 2012 and I'm still a skinny person. So, you know, but the, but the, the, the benefits obviously are just um, astronomical. So, um, as far as me and then how I would use this to kind of maybe uh, advise someone else, 
when I started lifting, you know, I was a, <clears throat> I was a need on at that time. And obviously lots of like technical errors and my karate and stuff I needed to fix. And I'm still working on a lot of different things. But when I first started lifting, I lifted like, um, like a bodybuilder because I was, I was actually dating a bodybuilder at that time. And so we were like getting our pump on and stuff. Um, but even lifting like that, I actually started to see huge changes in the way I was able to train. So one thing was, um, learning how to contract and relax certain muscles has a huge impact on your ability to move outside of that. And that's one of the ideas with strength and conditioning is if you're able to, um, when you lift weights, you are teaching those muscles how to contract more efficiently. Um, and that can transfer over to things like karate training. So I was able, whenever I had to make specific adjustments to my technique and my karate training, a lot of that I was able to because I had already gotten the habit of it with lifting one example, doing like lat pull downs or rows using the lats. Like I had never felt my lats before until I started strength training. So once I began to feel that and what that shoulder down feeling is like, and what it's like to lock that in for like moments of chemo and when punching or whatever, then I was able to transfer it over to karate because I had felt it with, with lifting. Another thing is that, um, so it's funny. I actually, um, in 2018, I started posting up these little videos of me and my gi, and I'm like showing how to do these certain like strength and mobility movements. And um, they became really popular. I started posting them on Facebook and I actually had the opportunity that year. I taught um, at the WTKO national seminar and I taught a strength and mobility class. And I went through this routine and I kind of explained how sometimes one of the best advantages you get from strength training or things similar is you can take a more complicated karate movement, and you can break it down into its components and you're able to work that in strength training. So as an example, if you're working on back leg drive, most people don't understand like how to contract their glutes anyway, beyond just the contraction, they don't understand the actual movement. Um, so if you're able to do something like a, a glute bridge or a hip thrust, where you're basically like air humping, um, just being able to do that movement, it actually has a huge benefit once you get off the floor and you're doing it in a karate movement. So that, that was another aspect of it. And that's something that I would advise, especially beginners, especially, but also people who are more advanced who want to make changes in their training and they just can't feel the differences or they don't know how to make those changes. Um, that's another one of the great benefits of strength training is that you're able to break those movements down into their smaller parts and then put it back together in your training. Obviously you have to be careful with that because you don't want to segment your karate, but I feel like that's one of the big benefits. Another is that, um, <clears throat> you know, you are any athlete who is like a college level or, or professional level athlete, they have a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, that's almost a given that basically most teams or like uh, UFC guys or whatever, they all have strength and conditioning coaches and they're working on this kind of stuff outside of their regular training. And the reason is another reason is because they do need to increase their strength and power. So um, back to kind of the bulky thing, um, <laughs> you usually won't see as much muscle bulk come on your body as you will see increases in strength. And because of the way the human body works, you have different types of muscle fibers in your body. And I know that, um, I know Scott Sensei, I think has mentioned this a couple of times. And sometimes when he's trying to, he's teaching and trying to convey ideas, you have different types of, of muscle fibers. And the two main ones are type one and type two. Whenever you are doing like very slow movements, like I'm constantly talking with my hands, those are all usually type one muscle fibers that you're using and they don't use a lot of energy and they, um, as overall, and um, they also use a specific energy system that allows you to do this for a very long period of time. Like I could probably do this for a couple of hours and I would be okay. 
Um, but then once you start doing more intense movements, like quicker movements, you're sprinting short distances, you're doing a quick anaerobic burst because you're in a, in a sparring match and you have to go in and, and do an attack. Um, that's when you start incorporating type one and type two muscle fibers. So you can train using those muscle fibers outside of just your karate training. Obviously that's a huge benefit. The best benefit you're going to see in your sport specific training is going to be from training your sport. But if you want extra benefits without maybe putting your body through as much of a beating, you add in strength training and that's going to help train some of those same ideas. And there's other things too, um, that you're training as well, but the strength, just the general strength or power and or power, which are two separate things. Those are still working similar, um, similar energy systems and also similar muscle fibers. So you can see big benefits in your, in your explosive movement. So what you're saying is we, Scott needs to hire you. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He's welcome to anytime. I'm, I'm like, where's yeah. our strength and conditioning coach? Exactly. And you seem to have... Where is everyone's strength and conditioning coach? <laughs> That's the question I'm asking myself right now. Where's my strength and conditioning coach? <laughs> But right. you, you gave a really good basic example. Um, and we talk about the glutes all the time when we're teaching back leg drive. And I'm going to our... teach it tomorrow, actually. It's going to be... Back leg drive? No, the glute squeeze. Squeezing the butt. More. But not for back leg drive. Because <laughs> <laughs> your calf is... No, remember I'll, get your calf? I'll get you to do it. Better, oh, yeah. I'll train my glutes tonight in preparation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Please. Anyway, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah, you gave a great example about the glutes. Really, really important for back leg drive. Back leg drive, really, really important for Shotokan Karate. But I've been really focusing on inner thigh engagement uh, recently. And I saw your recent video on Instagram. Uh, what Your handle is Shotokan Strength Coach? Yep. Guys, if you give a crap about your karate training, follow Shotokan Strength <laughs> Coach on Instagram. Anyway, you did a brilliant video on the abductor. This abductor lift, and I'm like, that's exactly the kind of thing I need if I want to improve my inner thigh engagement. But and I think inner thighs, we talk. Scott Sensei talks about it a lot, but I think in the karate world, it's overlooked. Is there anything else? Is there a group muscle or a muscle that you think is woefully overlooked in karate? Um, <clears throat> or a function of our body? Yeah, um, function definitely. Um, specific muscle group, I think would probably be the glutes are pretty much overlooked or they're used in a way that I will go out and say incorrectly. I'm going to be a little black and white here. Um, as far as function, um, I think in some cases, so athletes in general, in most sports, particularly like in Olympic lifting, where you're like doing clean and jerk and stuff, um, but also in karate movements and other, other, um, martial arts, you generally want a stiffer core and a um, and more mobility in your distal joints. So your pelvic girdle, your shoulder girdle, and your entire spine should be basically supported and they shouldn't move too much. So like I have struggled with this and I'm still struggling with it. So I'll use myself as an example. Sometimes when moving from stance to stance, you get a whole lot of like anterior, posterior, pelvic tilt stuff that like, you know, like I, get through the movement. I go left and right too. <laughs> oh, no. I've, I've had that too, but right now mine's a forward and back. It's a little better. And it's partially because I, I got better with timing my glute engagement, but yeah, like, like that thing. So that's one big thing that is not emphasized enough. I know that, um, 
Oh, this is going to offend some people. I'm sorry. So a lot of people will, will, will overemphasize tucking the glutes. And this is something that Steven, uh, Steve Sensei um, emphasizes a lot. When you over tuck your pelvis, you're actually limiting the range of motion in that hip. And you also put that hip, your hips at risk for injury, for overuse injury. So it's not quite to that extent, but if you are more balanced where like the top of the pelvis is actually like perpendicular to the spine, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that kind of stability. And it's actually really difficult once you start getting into deep stances. Like Steve says it should be like walking, but it ain't like walking at first because you're in a deep stance and your body's just like, I have no idea what the F I'm doing. So there's that. Um, and then sometimes people will kind of they'll, they'll kind of use that artistic expression. And, and actually we talked about this in one of our previous podcasts. Um, they'll, they'll add in extra movement to the spine or the shoulder that maybe shouldn't be there. Um, so that is a function I think that is overlooked is that there are certain structures in the body that are, that are there for stability. They're there to keep you safe. Um, but they're also there to increase your power production. So when you are more stable in your core and in your pelvic and shoulder girdle, and you are more loose in your distal joints, like your shoulders, your knees, your hips, um, you're actually able to produce and transmit power more efficiently. And you're able to take impact better versus if you turn it into some kind of like dancing woo woo movement thing. So that's, that's, that's what I would, I would argue is probably, um, the, the most overlooked function. Cool thank you yeah that, that, and that that's really interesting because this is where like uh, and i agree with what you're saying to a point right. but then this is where the, the funny thing about the karate spectrum comes in and, and movement right because then right. you've got people who would argue that that sort of wave like whip motion in your body that you can sort of like slingshot your body mm-hmm. weight into a technique increases power and speed and stuff like on impact do you put any emphasis on that in your training or practice or because I, I feel like that's like very steveable is that sort of you know complete connection all the time whereas there's other senses I've trained with who say that's one aspect but here's another one like a size sensei for example would not follow that sort of right. guide like guide that you've just described there Right. So I actually, um, that subject came up a couple of times with Steve Sensei. So we, this, what I'm, what I'm going to convey is my understanding of what he said and what I kind of agreed with. So what he was saying is that it actually does when you are, when you uncouple your hips and shoulders for a certain part of your range of motion, you actually do see a bit of a power increase whenever you make impact. Um, that actually does kind of incorporate that stretch shortening cycle where you're, you're opening up the abdomen, you're opening up the core musculature and then snapping it back into place at that moment of impact, you actually are increasing the amount of power that you're producing. So the balance thing that I was talking about earlier about like balancing your Steve, like Steve, how he balances his technique, but then also the application is kind of like it, it goes into, into gray areas. And that's one of those gray areas where if the principle is moving your hips and shoulders together as a unit, and you understand that to be the principle, but then you also understand that the body has this ability to use that stretch shortening cycle to increase impact in that one point, then that's understandable. But you also have to accept that earlier on in that range, if for some reason you had to make impact early, you're not going to transmit as much force as you would if you were coupled correctly, if they're like coupled, you know, parallel, if that makes sense. So, um, so 
it's not that there's not value to that. I absolutely 100% agree, but I think that that's more of like the application of the principle as opposed to like the the black and white, like this is our starting point. This is where we're shooting off from there. And I actually listened to one of you guys' podcasts. You were talking about how sometimes instructors, they do things similar, but they don't agree on certain, I think you talked about, uh, yeah, it was, it was the one about Steve and Rick and uh, Paulo Blafio. I haven't seen as much of his stuff. I understand where you're coming from. Like there are certain ideas that they actually do agree on, but what they don't agree on is what's the, what's the foundational principle of the movement. And that's, that's kind of the point. I I hope that as we go on, like more of us will be able to have these kind of discussions where we're like, yeah, you could totally do it that way, but how do we teach our, our beginner ranks? You know, how do, what do we train as far as our basic key home? And then how can we apply that idea? So anyway, hopefully that addresses the point. (laughs) Yeah, you can kind of. Sorry, just, I talk a lot. You've also, in a very polite way, brought attention to the fact that when we talk about technique, we're, we're like we sound like idiots. <laughs> oh my god! No, you don't. <laughs> sounds, sounds like um, we're drinking too much beer. <laughs> what we're talking about? It. Definitely did not say that. <laughs> it's half past seven. What else so, would you be at? That's true. We're training. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Make me sound like an asshole. <laughs> No, you Not sound very, very no. articulate and Pro- well educated and professional, professional in very layman's terms. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> um, so, in your um, karate journey, do, have you competed? Have you? Have you? Was competition ever a motivator for you? Well, okay. So because we live in kind of a rural part of Florida, definitely in our immediate area, not a lot of karate dojos. Um, So we would travel a little bit to do um, tournaments in in the U.S. We have the AAU and we would do tournaments with them. But um, the AAU is a little bit more open. So we got like lots of Taekwondo people and like alternative karate styles in there. And it's hard to tell exactly what they're going for. Um, it it kind of became more of like a WKF style thing, and we just didn't train that way. So as a kid, we we tr- we did it for a couple of years, for probably like five or six years, and then um, we didn't really do that as much anymore. So that really wasn't a motivating factor. Um, when I got older, we did try we we do try to do tournaments here and there. So <clears throat> the past three that I've competed in, we did. Um, there's actually a Kinkojuku club up in uh, like the armpit of Florida. So in Perry, Florida, their Kinkojuku is like an offshoot of Shotokan, I guess. And they run a, a tournament and we got to be there, but they're like no adults um, competing. So we're competing against like teenagers. So that's not as fun. Um, and then, um, and then we competed um, the Shuhari Institute, which is a group out of Minneapolis, they put together the Shuhari Cup, which is a well-run tournament, um, and we were able to do that. Outside of that and the the fun couple of experiences that we had at those, <laughs> um, outside of that, not a lot of tournaments, unfortunately. No. Interesting. Because no. uh, I've, where in the times I've been to America, I've went and watched quite a few tournaments. Have you ever witnessed the, the music, musical kata? <laughs> With the music so, blasting, it, blasting in the background? Um, not in person. So when I was younger, uh, when my family uh, used to like, go on vacation and stuff, we'd watch we'd watch TV and they would have like the, I think it's um, the Paul Mitchell uh, tournament thing at Disney uh, where they would have all these different martial arts styles come in and they're like dancing around doing their karate stuff. And as a kid, I was like, that's freaking awesome. Now as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, it's so lame. But no, I never... 
I never saw it in person, but that's, that's probably the most of it. We never, we haven't seen as much of that stuff. There, there are some, there are some styles that to me look eccentric, but if they have an explanation as to why they do something, I'm in no place to judge that. So, but outside of that, I've never seen anything like the music thing. Fair enough. Cool. So, okay, you just said you're in no place to judge, but if you were to judge, <laughs> what would you say about karate in the United States of America? Um, verdict. Parents look at it as like kids playtime daycare. So, um, you know, we get calls from parents asking if we do bus pickup. If you do bus pickup, I am totally not saying anything against you, but we know that that would turn into us being a daycare type thing. We don't want that. Um, <laughs> I'll give you an example. We had a, um, the closest martial arts club that we knew of was in the next county over and um, they shut down. So their students actually came to us and they were American open style, which oh, is that like, is, an, that just seems <clears throat> awful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, uh, so the, this, like, one of the, Caesar, girls, shut up. I'm just, <laughs> I'm trying to be kind of nice. So like the, one of the girls that came over right before they shut down, like she'd been training for eight years and the instructors was like, okay, you and these other seven people, you're all going to test for your showdown. So, you know, they paid 250 a piece for their showdown exam and their tests lasted like a ridiculous amount of time. It was like a cumulative exam where they had to do like every kata they knew and go through every exam they had already done. And I saw a video of this girl sparring and she's having to spar her instructor and he's doing that like kick thing where he like keeps people away and he's like running away from her. It was just, it was really awful. And that happens so much. Like there's a lot of dipshits that who, who start up karate clubs and like nothing's regulated in the U S so you can basically like put on some pajamas and call yourself a karate instructor and start a dojo and no one can uh, take you down unless somebody gets hurt. So yeah, karate sucks over here. Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that was great. That was That's, excellent. That was, that was good. We ran there. Quite a good run. Yeah. It's nice so one. annoying. It's it's awful because like as business owners, we have to deal with that kind of stigma that people come to us and they're like they have one expectation and we're just like, nah, we're not doing that. You're trying to yeah. you're trying to stay true. Yeah, I mean, like in our time here, like I've had your parents coming in and asking if oh can we do a class at like 3 p.m as if this isn't like a full-time place with like a set schedule that like they're asking us to change the times and things like that and you're like like i don't think you understand how this works like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the yeah. people are like do you take two-year-olds what <laughs> am i gonna teach your child how to walk and talk what? i know like i had a three-year-old once yeah and she was fucking brilliant <laughs> Little Japanese child, yeah. Her name was. Her oh, name was. okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't be racist. My husband's Japanese, so I'm allowed to say that by proxy. Okay. Sorry. My husband is Japanese, so I'm allowed to make Japanese comments. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Little Japanese child, um, called Lily, and three years old, and you know, just like I was like, okay, everybody get ready to punch. She's just, she just started doing it. Boom, yeah. boom. She's doing front stance, stepping forward. She knew her left from right. Sotuke prepper, everything. Little she genius. was coughing on really quick. And then I've got I've got 12 year olds that can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And uh, and then one day she just changed her mind and decided she hated karate. Oh. Oh man. Probably yeah, kids are fickle. Didn't have fun if she was taking it that seriously at three. 
maybe. Yeah, Helicopter, maybe, yes. what? <laughs> <laughs> this is not Boudon. Want some lineup drills? Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think we we go through like like you know yeah. I think the biggest obstacle for cry instructors are, are parents, right? Yeah. Parent like and and most parents are brilliant, but it's the ones who just don't understand what you're trying to like what you do what it is you're trying to, to give their kids and stuff like that, the, the sort of experience that you're trying to pass along and knowledge mm. you're trying to pass along. It's, it's That's always the toughest thing to, to get around as an instructor, mm. I always think. You know? Yeah, I can agree with that. You know, we feel like when students come in, we're, we are training the student and the parent. So we actually have to teach the parent. Like, so like when we have, especially students like seven years old and younger, it's a lot of like learning how to be in the class, learning discipline, learning where the boundaries are, learning when it's work time, learning when it's play time, learning that after three strikes, you're out, we send you off the floor. Parents, you're not allowed to give your child a soda. You have to discipline them. We have to have these conversations with parents whenever we first start off with them. We've had examples. We've had instances where I had a five-year-old. We take them pretty young. We had a five-year-old and uh, freaking asshole, man. I couldn't stand this kid. He was such a jerk. And I, he got in trouble three times. I sent him off the floor. His aunt was there. I look out the lobby. Dude's like chilling on the bench, drinking a Mountain Dew. I'm like, what the, are you freaking kidding me? So anyway, he didn't last very long here. But so since then we teach the parents, like, you know, if you, you bring your child here for discipline, you have to back us up whenever we make decisions on the floor. And dude, they are like all for it. We have parents that are just like watching us discipline their kids. They're like, hell yeah, get them. So it's yeah. awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, they're, they're like, yeah, I mean, that's great. I have had experiences where parents, um, you've disciplined a child and you're having a conversation about the child's behavior after a class and they've they're trying to talk to their child and the child's just storming off in a tantrum not talking to the parent and then the parent's just kind of like oh well little johnny's just you know how he is and walks <laughs> off and you're like what <laughs> and these two brothers two brothers they're, they're they're twins oh i know these boys they're, <laughs> they're twins right and i actually love the twins i actually get on really well with the twins but they are like funny <laughs> they are like like a handful like they just fight all the time are they still training hey no, I haven't seen them since COVID, so yeah, I don't, they haven't been doing online stuff. But um, like for example, we were doing like go home committee, and we were changing partners round and round, and then it came with the two twins appeared <laughs> up, and I was like, they were behaviors been stellar for like three weeks, and I was like, three weeks of good behavior. I was like, right, boys, I'll let you stay partnered up, but no messing. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. And they go through the first bit, okay, and then they go through the second bit, you know, attacking Jonah, and and one of the twins blocks, and it's like, okay, now like counter, and he winds up like like he's like, boom, and like sinks his brother in the chest, and I couldn't help but laugh because I was just like, that's that's hilarious, but you know, you're both off the dojo now, you know, like that's, that's the way it is. But yeah, like and kids like that who would constantly you know, be at each other's throats the whole way through class and you'd say to the parents and the parents didn't really, didn't really do anything about it, you know, didn't really care. So oh, it's good that they're at, like, all oh, your parents are now starting to back you up. I think having the parents on your side is a big advantage. Having the parents on your side is definitely an advantage, but I don't like it. And maybe you guys have had experience of this too, but I do not like it when the parents try to, like... Um, Chime in. Uh, they like try to meet you and also outdo you in discipline mm. like they're like he did what 
oh he's in trouble come over here and then they start they start giving the kid shit and and the kid is in tears and you're like the way i see it is it happened in the dojo and it can be dealt with in the dojo he doesn't need to be grounded yeah he was bad but he got you know he got his timeouts i gave him a given out to and then usually their uh, their uh, behavior improves before the end of class sometimes i'm like that kid needs half an hour in the chokey yeah, I know sometimes. You didn't sometimes. have a jokey going up. Yeah, we did. We had the cold press in the, school. The cold, the cold press. press. Anyway, what um, is this? I but we must not have that here. The jokey. Do you not you know, know Matilda? Matilda? You know oh, I do. I haven't watched in so long. I don't remember. Oh, is that the th- the the thing with the? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the thing. Yeah, we we okay. got thrown into a storage cupboard, but there were no spikes. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So I coverage. hate it. I yeah, I like I like dealing with it in the dojo. They get their timeouts. You correct their behavior within the context of a karate class. I don't like it when they get in trouble at home. Then on top of it, right. I can understand that too. And, and sometimes that does happen. Um, one thing that Jeremiah does that I really like, and like, I'm not always the best with discipline because I'm just like, I want everyone to have a pleasant experience, but sometimes they're little jerks and they need to be disciplined. So he's good about taking care of it right then. But then he also, you know, he tells the kid and he tells the parents tomorrow's a new day. So whatever you got in trouble for today, we left it here. The next time you come in, it's a clean slate. So we try to kind of imply, like, leave it alone because they really, yeah, like you said, it, it's already been handled. So they don't need to, like, ground the child or whatever. I try to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So in this, in this dojo, like, so what we try, like, in terms of teaching stuff, but in terms of our own training and stuff, what we always talk about is a... Uh, having we're good just checking the battery on the laptop i forgot my charger <laughs> oh, <Hashtag no>. professional <laughs> um it's having like kid. having cried adventures for example like last year getting to go to florida and a uh, meeting all you guys and, and training at uh, rick's dojo and stuff um a little bit of a karate adventure but do you have a specific karate adventure that was your favorite like your favorite experience traveling doing karate or or having people at the dojo or any sort of karate experience that would top the list? Um, <clears throat> a lot of them have been really good. Honestly, the, ma- the majority of the time that we travel, regardless of who we're training with, I really like it. There's only been a couple of instances where I've ever gone to a seminar and not liked it. Um, one of my favorite experiences though was um, like, I, I love going into San Diego and training with Steve. That's fantastic. One of the best though experiences was in 2017, um, the Shuhara people, in Minneapolis, they put on a four-day seminar and they had Steve come and teach. And for some reason, doing it four days instead of three made such a huge difference in the way we were able to take in information, process it, ask questions, and like build on the concepts. Like it feels like three days just isn't enough. Because Friday you get there, you're like settling in. Saturday is the main training, and the Sunday you like you train and you leave. Adding that extra day of training was fantastic because we had two days to process what was happening. Plus we had lots of fun, like hanging out with our friends and meeting new people. So all of that was really great. It was freaking freezing because we're from Florida. So, you know, we got to experience all of that. But um, to me, that was probably one of the best experiences I've had. It was just getting to try that in a different format was fun. Cool. That's we're pretty late. Like we don't do like fun stuff when we travel. So. (laughs) And was Steve the instructor for the full four days? 
Yeah. Amazing. He was exhausted. That's cool. That is cool. Mm-hmm. I, I, when, when I was uh, training with Steve in, in San Diego, that's the first I had him for three days in a row, just training with Steve, um, which was amazing. But like I found that we all like with everything, we always start too ambitious. So he was like, <laughs> so what do you want to He's always like, so what do you want to do? Like, I'll teach you whatever you want. What do you want to do? So we were like, oh, we'd love to do Sochin. If we could do Sochin with you and you could break that down for us, that'd be amazing. And then we we done a whole like whatever two hours of of Sochin, and then we were like, ah, oh, that, that like amazing. Obviously, we don't know anything about Sochin, and we'll, <laughs> and we'll never try that cat ever again. So the next day, we're like, oh, will you actually just uh, take us through, you know, uh, kick, kicking? Like we never really see you teaching kicks that often, you know. Like it would be great to see you go through like all the kicks, and then we're like, oh, okay, so none of us know how to kick, right? That's great. Um, uh, can you just teach us how to how to punch? See, just, <laughs> the last day, we're like. Yakazuki would be nice, and we've got a cracking video oh. of Scott says he do Yakazuki, and Steve being like, "No, you're <laughs> you're still initiating for do no, no," and then eventually he just got his arms folded and Scott's, and he just goes, <sighs> and then walks away, and uh, and Scott cries <laughs> into his hand, and it is literally my favorite crying memory. <laughs> my favorite thing. Well, if it's any consolation, I've been working on step and punch for like five years. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it, it happens. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. Last, uh, see, oh, not last year. I, I want to block 2020 out of my memory because I like nothing happened last year. Um, in 2019, when we went, the first class we did, he did the same thing. Like, what do you guys want to work on? And I was working on MP at the time. He's like, okay. So we went through MP and I literally, the section at the end where you're, where you're here, going to the corner and then you step two and then step in for the last couple of whatever these are, these pressing blocks. Um, I did the transition with the feet, just the transition, stepping in with the left foot, stepping out with the right for 45 minutes. Later that week, I worked on hand yondan doing the section where you close your hands and do the knee strike at the end, 45 minutes to an hour easily, like, and still didn't get it right at the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) That's the easiest bit in the whole kata. (laughs) <laughs> think you think you may be obsessing a little bit too much. <laughs> Apparently not, because um, it was a timing thing between like breath control, um, abdominal contraction, and then also closing my hands at the right time, so I didn't lose the guy's head. So yeah, yeah, that's a uh, when you've trained a certain way for so long, like you're so caught, you're so stuck in that movement pattern. And that was kind of the thing I was talking about with strength training is like sometimes it just it gets you out of that, so you can. You can move your body in a different way and feel something different. So then if you are trying to make that change, then you can be like, oh, that's what that's supposed to feel like. Okay. So so when you get like feedback from Steve, so, so do you send him videos and stuff like that, like year round? No, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm just curious because he never seems to say, well done, mate. That was, <laughs> that was, that was better. Like, have, has he ever said, oh, that's getting better. You're doing that big. Or is he st- always just like, this needs to improve, this needs to improve, this needs to improve. Is he ever, like, positive? Yeah, all the time. Yeah? Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, no, he, he must like he's, he, When he... No, it's not that. Well, he does like us. But, um, no, when he looks at our videos, uh, he just... If he objectively thinks that it's better and we did what, what he was asking us to improve, he's like, yeah, that's better. Sometimes that's it, and we don't get any other explanation unless we ask. Um, but then, you know, there are days, like... Uh, the week before last where I've been working on Conquer Show again for like five months and I have a list about this long. Give me a second. I'm going to grab my, my notebook. <laughs> I'll show you what it looks like. So he'll, he will give um, compliments when there's improvement. 
And then he does this. Let's see here. I'm trying to see where it starts. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Hold on a minute. Starting um, right there. So that's page one. And these are multiple times calling, but these are pages and pages of notes of things I'm doing wrong that I have to fix. Jeez. And sometimes it's repeating the same thing, but uh, like that I still haven't fixed yet. But sometimes we'll call and I'll get an entire page of notes of crap I have to work on. And, you know, but I, I like it. Like, that's my personality. I, I want to improve. I want to get better. And he's not saying it to be demeaning. Um, he genuinely cares. Teachers genuinely care about their students um, in most cases. And I think if a, if a teacher is, is trying to give you correction just to berate you or keep you down, most people can eventually tell the difference um yeah. and just not like that it is funny whenever he like doesn't give you a compliment and everything is wrong um but uh, to me it's fun so yeah that's amazing you have a really really good attitude i think i think you have a very 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 good at and people who listen to the podcast will know i'm a whiny little wuss <laughs> when, when it comes to like not receiving validation <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, please <laughs> you know? i have no self-esteem it's fine you can't get me any lower <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Fair play. <laughs> cool. You want to do some of that? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So cool. earlier on... Well, you do this, I'm going to quickly nap to the toilet. I was very rudely yeah, looking yeah. at my phone because I remembered... Jesus. God. What are you wrecking the place? <laughs> are you sure you want to put up the video version of this podcast? <laughs> this is all going on. So... Watch your Ross's butt. <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> give the people what they want um so we got uh we we haven't we haven't brought up yet the the very obvious fact that you are a, a female karateka you're a woman in the karate world and we've kind of we've addressed that with some of our female guests before we've had a small handful of them um mm -hmm. but we were talking to a woman called linda mcintyre she's a karateka from down in cork in the south part of ireland and we talked about female only classes on a seminar a part of the mm -hmm. seminar where all the women go off on their own to train with a right. female instructor for some reason uh i don't know but uh Anyway, we talked to Linda about it and she thought it's a bad idea. She's like, you know, karate is karate, whether you're a man or a woman, there should be nothing you teach to women and don't teach to men or vice versa. And we, Ross and I were, yeah, of course, yeah, it makes no sense. But then somebody emailed us in, her name is Sophia Ramos. Would it be okay with, I, with you if I read out this email and then got your thoughts on what she said? Yeah, sure thing. Ross and I have already had a back and forth with Sophia uh, about it. And uh, she brought up uh, something that we didn't, we didn't think of at all, probably because of our you know privileged point of view so so i'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read now all right it's, it's it's a little bit long okay us i'm a fairly recent listener of the podcast and would like to make a comment regarding one of the topics you touched on your last podcast with linda um i'd like to give an explanation of why women would prefer women only classes or gyms uh while many men are respectful of women in gyms we unfortunately still have to deal with even more sexist, chauvinistic men. To give a few examples, women are often approached in gyms to be corrected in a patronizing and insulting way, or just simply to be sexually harassed. Um, sexual harassment includes standing behind a woman, checking out her assets, in uh, inverted commas there, while she's exercising, saying lascivious things to her, or simply trying to hook up with her as if you were in a nightclub. And in more extreme cases, women can be even physically molested. Um, 
If you dare to call out a man in question for his demeaning behavior, situations can escalate, verbal abuse uh, can, can, can follow. So uh, let me try and skip forward a little bit. This said, uh, the martial arts are still considered to be a very much male activity. Women start judo, karate or other martial arts, but they don't stick with it long enough to make senior grades. That's something that's, that's quite obvious. Mm. You don't see enough uh, female, very senior grades around the place. Um, so she's seen many women not even daring to take a trial lesson at a dojo uh, for being in intimidated front of, in front of so many male black belts. Uh, the gym can be an area predators hang around. The dojo is quite the opposite. You can, but you can still find the odd man who tries to get in the pants of the female students outside of the dojo. And as a woman, I feel I have to work harder than the men to prove my value. Uh, Non-martial artist women do not know this. They carry with them years of being seen as a treat under the male gaze. And simply assume a dojo is just another place they could experience the same uh, problems. Uh, let me skip forward another little bit there. Um, That, 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 that's, that's the end of the meat of the email. That's, um, that's the basic point she was trying to get across. So, go. So it's funny because I actually run a, a group on Facebook, Karate Women. And we actually, after your podcast with Linda, I brought that up because you had asked that also to um, Chrissy Howard. And she's also in the group. So I asked the other women their thoughts. So we discussed that there. And then we had a couple of podcasts with a few women um, on our podcast where we kind of talked about some similar ideas. So I'm just gonna kind of share some thoughts that might be a little bit ambiguous. So one is there's probably going to be sexism for a long time and there's not really any way around it other than kind of pushing through it. Um, and I don't wanna say that to anybody any excuse. There is not an excuse for somebody to be in any way prejudiced or sexist or degrading or disgusting to another human being. There's absolutely no way around it. Um, but if we want our opportunity to train, we have to either figure out how to make that or um, we have to, I guess, deal with certain things. I don't know. Um, so as far as the like the comments or the um, the question about like the seminar thing, like should women have a separate class? It kind of depends. Uh, I feel like it depends on like what's normal for your karate culture, like if the women are more comfortable like training with men, I don't really see that there would be an issue. To me, it would be more ideal if like a woman instructor was teaching, they're able to actually present stuff from a female perspective, such as if you're doing application, you have to change the applications because most of us are smaller. We're also not as physically strong. We have to use a lot more technical um, aspects of our training in order to make the applications work. That's just as an example. So if a woman was teaching that to a class of men and women, then men are also able to understand that as well. And there's actually some ideas that would apply to men. So you're kind of taking some, some advantage away from men if you don't allow a female instructor to teach all of them together. But then also there's an advantage for women when we do get to train with men because we get the chance to defend ourselves against them in, like in a class setting. And then we also get the chance, the men have the opportunity to put those, the idea that, that sexism is rampant, they have the opportunity to put that to rest. So a men has a men have a positive opportunity to be like, hey, let's train together. I'm gonna treat you respectfully, whatever. I think it's more important for a woman to call a man out. And then if if it's not like if it's not going anywhere, if he's not listening, then you separate yourself from the situation. But if you have the opportunity to kind of I guess have more of those experiences. I feel like that's more positive. 
Um, and then I, and I also understand where the lady in the email is coming from. Like a lot of women have to deal with like, you know, being approached and being talked to like condescending from other guys. I totally get it. When I've gone to lots of seminars where I've tried to pair up with older guys and they look at me look really young. So I know that they're assuming that I'm a much lower rank than I am. And we will, we'll be both listening to the instructor and they give specific instructions about what we're supposed to be doing. I try to do that and they want to do their own thing. I try to give feedback. They don't want to listen. Happens all the time. That drives me fucking mental, man. That is like yeah. the, like the, the most infuriating thing being on a seminar is when people don't listen to what's being asked and you're like, mate, what the fuck are you paying money for if you're not going to do it? Exactly. Like, Why are you even here? I'm right. Up. And that's probably not just a woman thing. That's probably just like, they're just an asshole and they're going to do that to anybody. So, I mean, I can, I can understand that too. I've always taken it as kind of a sexist thing, but that might not have anything to do with it. So I feel like there are positives and negatives to like having that separation. I feel like the more you separate groups of people, the more there is misunderstanding between groups of people, the more there's like this coming together and open communication between groups of people. I feel like that's a more positive environment, even if bad stuff happens even if there is a chauvinistic pig on the dojo floor, if the culture that you are building is to not allow that and that person gets called out or gets ostracized because they're a jerk, then that's going to overall like boost the the quality of having those kind of experiences. Hopefully that kind of makes sense. I may not have addressed everything in the email, but I was trying to kind of hit both sides. Perfect. Perfect. We had a, we, Scott Sensei had a, a wonderful ally moment once in a, in a class a long time ago. Um, yeah, it was one of the, those situations where uh, doing partner drills, and when the um, a guy, uh, quite a large guy, paired up with quite a small woman, then said, "Oh, you go pair up with her, so he can then come and pair with me, and we work together." And yeah. to Scott's his credit, he called it out and said, "My dojo, my rules. That right. sex is pair up with who you're with, and right. just do the drill." Yeah. He said it very loudly. That was he uh, said he was, uh, screamed across the sexist. It was great. Yeah. Great. And you know what? I feel like a lot of times, I, I honestly feel like a lot of times guys are not doing that intentionally because like they don't like women or whatever. They're just so used to like doing that, like playing with the guys and the girls playing with the girls. They're just like, oh, don't pair with me, go pair up with him. It'll be all, you know, I'll get more of a benefit if I train with this guy. Sometimes we're like very like selfish in our thinking. We're not thinking, oh, how can I help this person that I'm training with? I'm not calling guys selfish. I'm just using that as an example. Um, sometimes they feel like we're just kind of kind of conditioned like that from the time that we're young. We're all separated. You know, if you keep doing that, then it's harder to bring athletes together. If we're going to be those types of athletes where we're training on the dojo floor together and we're trying to learn how to defend ourselves against someone of the opposite sex or different body sizes and styles, then we got to train together. That's it, yeah. And I think one of the cool things about that moment with Scott was that afterwards there were there was a bit of a back and forth about it because the guy felt very quite upset about being called out in the dojo in front of everyone and being called a sexist in front of everyone. And I, Scott handled it really well and he clarified, like, I'm not saying you're sexist, but what you were doing was sexist. I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying you were you were acting like it. So, you know, I, I had to call you out on it. And I think that you know, even that just distinction helps a little bit with with guys who maybe don't understand the effect they're having on on people's training experience. You know. Yep, and I definitely think that the precedent that you set as an instructor that is what determines 
in a lot of ways, the future of the, of the individuals in your dojo. If Scott is the instructor is setting that precedent now, maybe he didn't teach anything to that guy, but the other people who were watching, they're like, oh shit, I better not do that. Like they learned something from there. So that's even like in our dojo, even with like our kids coming up, if we can point out things like that, then they learn for the future. And then when they go off to other dojos, they're not going to be like, I don't understand. I'm not being sexist. So to finish, we uh, we want to ask you a quick fire question, something you can answer off the top of your head, and then we'll move on to the fails of the week. Oh, I didn't mention it. I didn't bring that up. Whoops. Do you know about our fails of the week? Segment? Yeah, I listened to your podcast, so I've heard them all. Lauren, if you could change one thing about the world of karate, what would you change? Okay. Okay, so personally, I I would like to see either the removal of organizations or them having a little bit less of an inf- or being less uh, prevalent. Um, there are so many that sometimes will um, they try they they claim they try to provide opportunity for the people that are in. Oh, some of them claim they try to provide opportunity for the people who are in the organization, but instead they limit them and they don't like them training with other people. I feel like that's part of it. What I was actually fixing to say was um, sometimes organizations put individual instructors on a pedestal, and because we spend so much time focusing on the head of that organization or the person that that organization has put on a pedestal, that we don't have the opportunity to train with lots of different people because we don't we're not looking for them. We're not looking for other opportunities to train with people of like equal rank or higher or give other people the opportunity to teach. And I know that like I've heard that. Um, that the HGKI has given a lot of opportunity to other instructors. I've seen that you guys get a chance to teach and that's fantastic. I, I love the way that Scott runs your organization, but I feel like a lot of organizations don't do that. My personal opinion coming, especially from like a personal training background, whenever you're um, in a certain field, usually organizations and associations are there for continuing education. So if more organizations were focused on that and they were focused on providing continuing education opportunities without boxing people in and saying like, this is how we do this and no, you don't do it that way because they do it that way, we do it this way. If it was less of that and it was more about providing education opportunities, I feel like that would be better. Um, I think some organizations think they do that, but all they do is take money from their uh, constituents and they don't really provide a lot of opportunity. So that's my, that's my beef. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. That was wonderful. That was, uh, that was, uh, that was like a speech worthy of Congress. Yeah. (laughs) Congress. Congress. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like an organization <laughs> yeah i think you're spot on um we we love being part of the hdki but ultimately we just love karate right yeah yeah very good i'm, I want um, to make a, I'm gonna make a um a uh, prediction i think that the people in our generation are not going to go the same route as the people in the previous generation where they stick with that organizational stuff. I mean, I, I, I will have still have organizations, but I think people like us that we're going to break away from a lot of that. And because like we're so interconnected with social media, I think we'll be more interconnected. I don't think we're going to separate ourselves from other people like previous generations. I think, I think we need to be to survive these days. Yeah. I think that you, you'll see, you see organizations that aren't inclusive and, and very exclusive. They, they're fallen by the wayside. So yeah, it's already happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
Is it time? It's time. Is it time? Time for a fail of the week. Yes. You did it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have <laughs> you. Oh, I, I thought you were throwing your head back. Uh, oh, she was just laughing. I just laughed. <laughs> well, that's what probably what most people do. <laughs> what they all do. We just laugh. Yeah. Gotta be comfortable with what you are. Speaking of hey. laughing, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a fail? Uh, I, uh, I'm going to let you go first because I have no. <laughs> I haven't thought of one. No. Hashtag unprofessional. Yeah. Lauren, have you got yours ready? Okay. Go on. Oh, me? Oh, okay. Okay, so mine actually wasn't this week. It was last week. <clears throat> so um, the youngest students we take in our dojo are four and five, which is pretty young, but we use the class to like teach students how to be in a class. And um, we, we kind of teach them the difference between work and play. So we'll do like a, a moment of like doing keyhole in the mirror, like learning how to punch and they'll like run through an obstacle course or something. And then we'll learn how to do rising block and they'll run through an obstacle course. <clears throat> so we had two students in the class last Monday cause it was a holiday. Um, we had two students and um, they were doing their little, their, their moves in the mirror. And then they would run around the obstacle course. And one of the obstacles was um, we have lightsabers, which are, they're actually half pool noodles with a, a duct tape on the end and the kids fight each other with them but jeremiah was throwing them at the children like they were spears which was pretty funny and the parents thought it was great <laughs> so then i'm standing there with a hula hoop like it's a tunnel and they're supposed to run through the hula hoop well after we had gotten through the entire class i'm like oh, i'll just keep running through the obstacle course get out your energy so you can fall asleep on the way home well my dumb behind is like hey let's make the tunnel change heights so i'm like <laughs> it up and then dropping it down and lifting it up so these kids <laughs> having no timing at all, would go through <laughs> right as I'm lifting the hula hoop. So a kid would run through and bam, they would just smack into the ground like face first. I'm like, oh crap. So I put the thing back down, make sure they're okay. They'd run through. Next kid, same thing. Right as it goes up, bam, hit the ground. I'm like, oh shit. So it, ha it, kept, it happened four times. And the parents are laughing their butts off in the lobby. And Jeremiah's like, Lauren, don't you think you should stop doing that? You're just tripping the children. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay <laughs> anyhow i'm not really an abusive teacher but sometimes it's you know sometimes they need to be <clears throat> knocked down a couple of notches so that was my fail i'm not going to do that next time <laughs> <laughs> that's great man if it involves a little bit of casual casual child abuse i find it very funny <laughs> uh, that's how we get through the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You got to, man. You got to. <laughs> Otherwise, they make you crazy. <clears throat> so I've got mine. Go on. Okay, okay. So my mine is mine's fairly mild. Um, training on Monday night. Scott Sensei was doing a lot of kicking, and we did a lot of Yokogere Keage. And my kicks are shite. And my shite kick. I can confirm this. <laughs> Very shite kicks. Very shite. <laughs> I believe you. <clears throat> Yokogere Keage. And we, I was trying, to, I was trying, all right? And I tried too hard and I just did a too much snappy kick. So, so snappy were these kicks, Ross, mm -hmm. that uh, all, <laughs> all the little ligaments and tendons on the back of my right knee are very, very sore. They, they've been stretched. Like I overextended my knee a few times and made it quite sore. And after training, I was like, oh, same thing. so many snappy kicks, very sore. Mm. And then the next day, um, I had to sit out of half of morning training. Um, the next day I didn't go to morning training because it was even worse. And then 
then the next day was the first day of Kangeko and it's my class. So my knee is still really, really sore. But like I said on our last episode, I when I get the chance to teach adults, which is more and more lately, I get very excited. And I ended up, I, I started with the upper body and I thought I'm just going to do shoulder snap and I'm just going to do compression on the chest and on the back. Then I'm just going to do the double hip action, the thong thong. And then next thing I was like, uh, I was like, this is all very springy, very bouncy, very elastic karate. And I just thought, you know, it's another way of doing springy karate. Everybody, you come on. We're gonna do a kumite. So, like, I was, I was not doing kumite, obviously, but um, I was doing kazamizuki gakuzu, like flying across the floor, using that plyometric bounce to, and um, inside I was screaming, in the, <laughs> because my knee was was on fire. Mm. But uh, I kept going for about fifteen minutes, like flying across the floor, just doing my doing my knee in because. I ran out of ideas <laughs> because I wanted to show off and uh, because I just Prepared got carried, just got carried away. <laughs> yeah. I also didn't know the class was going to be an hour long. So the, I thought I thought I had, I thought I needed. Like I remember when hour. you were like, how long is it? It's like an hour. I think you were like, oh, right. I was like, he's only got 20 minutes. He's only got a 20 minute class. It's at half six in the morning. Class starts in half an hour. I'm like, oh, how many classes have you <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm feeling a bit better. I think it'll be better by Monday. Yeah. What day is it? Saturday. No, mm-hmm. today's Friday. Well, go on. <laughs> <Your turn. laughs> um, I think my, if I'm being honest, like I, I don't like I, I didn't want to put this out there actually, but I'll put it out there. Um, on Wednesday, because I, I'm injured just now, I'm not teaching. I normally I teach the the adult classes on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, but because I'm injured, Rue and AJ have been kind of covering. Uh, so I got a chance to do Rick Jackson Sensei's oh, meditation class. Have, have you heard of Rick Jackson Sensei? I I did at uh, the one meter squared um, se- seminar in November, and I got to do his uh, his uh, his session. Did you stay in Cesar for the whole time? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so so we did, and I, I like my legs were like completely numb for about ten minutes. Like I literally couldn't move. It was it was crazy. Yeah. That, was the, that was the first time I've done it like the whole way through without giving up. Like that was that was that was intense. But I was doing his Wednesday evening meditation session, and the stuff he was talking about was was amazing. He was talking about um, the the self and and how to put it in the background and be in the foreground and the thing with the other thing. It was amazing. Like very <laughs> very good. I won't get into it because I'll just watch it. Yeah, I'm not going to try and explain it. Um, very deep Zen like amazingness. Um, uh, and I was listening, but everyone, like I, was, I had to skim through before he started, you know, talking about the, the sort of theme of the, the session. And I was like looking <laughs> through everyone looking and I was like, and I was like, are they all behaving? And I was like, oh, because I had my camera off. Yeah. Because I had no plans of sitting in Cesar or even sitting up. I was on my bed lying down like, oh, yeah, this, this is great. Just chilling cash, out. So, just chilling out. So I was looking through and I was like, oh, everyone's taking seriously. Da, 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 da. And then it's like, okay, so it's kind of, like he does his, his 40 minutes of just spilling out gold, you know? And then it's like, okay, it's time to, to meditate. And it's like, okay, well, it's like, time, like time to, you know, reflect and stuff like that. So I lie down and I, and I have a wee reflect. And then I notice that only one nostril's working when I'm breathing in my nose. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you breathe through your nose, sometimes one nostril just doesn't work. Yeah. It's not like your nose is blocked, no, but you're like, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, but it's only one. And I was like, 
why is it only one? I can I change that? And I was like, <laughs> and the whole way through the meditation, I'm like focusing, like thinking about like me, if I, no, if I do. And then next thing you know, the gong goes, and I'm like, I spent 20 minutes trying to work out why what not was working. And you know, so listen, even though when I do that, I can breathe fine. Like that, I was like, I was like, what an absolute. Like two of a man, like what a fucking decade. I was like, oh my god, that's something I would do. I was just like, oh my god, who will? Oh my god, maybe a little bit more maturity is needed before a jump on the call. Yeah, but that that was that was definitely my feeling. Yeah, I didn't want. I didn't have. A, I didn't want to share that one. <laughs> no, no, I was share that. That's the first I've heard of that. Yeah. Usually, I'm already aware of what Prince Spam's going to be. Yeah, but yeah, that was extra go. special then. Yeah, yeah. extra special. <laughs> Even now, man. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's the simple things, you know. The simple yeah. things. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well Lauren I'd say it's been fantastic having you on uh, excellent guest we will definitely have you on again because this was a great and there's so much that we we could have dived into I think I think we can have much more uh, specific conversation with you in terms of your karate and what you focus on and how you involve your strength conditioning into it and stuff really interesting so definitely we'll be we'll be coming back to you for a, for a, another interview for yeah. sure before we go, guys, uh, check out Lauren on Instagram, Strength Shotokan Strength Coach. If you want to send us an email and tell us we're a bunch of ball bags and uh, explain to us why we're wrong about everything we talk about, Humble Dojo Podcast at gmail.com, Humble Dojo Podcast on Facebook, yada, yada, yada. And please check out uh, Lauren and Jeremiah's uh, podcast, Beyond the Dojo. Oh, yeah, that's we, I, I see it on YouTube. Do you have it anywhere else? Any other platforms? Yeah, we're on basic like all of the major podca- podcast platforms and YouTube. Excellent. Good. So, guys, check them out. It is great stuff, great content. And uh, Lauren, once again, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank really you. Appreciate it.